Thank you for joining us today on another installment of Frost & Sullivan's exciting podcast series highlighting key disruptive technologies, growth opportunities, economic trends, new business models, industry convergence, emerging geographies, and much more. I am Jillian Walker, Principal Consultant with Frost & Sullivan's Visionary Innovation Group. Visionary Innovation is dedicated to identifying mega trends that will have far-reaching impacts on how people live their lives, how governments operate, and how businesses engage. And today, we will be discussing Gen Z and entrepreneurship. After years of focusing on millennials, Gen Z is now taking center stage. Definitions of Gen Z vary globally, but for the U.S., Gen Z comprises those born between 1997 to about 2012. The oldest of this generation is currently coming of age and entering the job market. Employers are asking how to best integrate this mobile-first, digital-native, gaming-obsessed generation into their workforce. They also want to know how to harness Gen Z's technological talent and creative drive. At the same time, Gen Zers show a strong leaning toward entrepreneurial pursuits. The digital economy, replete with influencers and access to crowdfunding, has lowered barriers to entry. Figures such as Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos have replaced celebrities as teen idols. We routinely see Gen Zers start and promote uh, their own businesses well before their college days, and universities are responding. The number of entrepreneurships is growing quickly as universities lean into this trend. This podcast will take a deep dive into the motivations and interests of Gen Z entrepreneurs, asking how business can respond to this trend in innovation. Joining me today is Dr. Luis Martinez, Director of the Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Trinity University, a liberal arts university in San Antonio, Texas. Dr. Martinez, thank you so much for discussing this topic with us. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Great. So let's just take a step back and um, perhaps have you describe Trinity University's Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Sure. So Trinity Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship is, is unique. It's unique in the sense that it's a university-wide initiative. Uh, we firmly believe that entrepreneurship and innovation is something that uh, is, is accessible to all of our students, uh, regardless of what their major is. So we're a university-wide initiative that's committed to making every student, faculty, staff, and alum more innovative and entrepreneurial. Unlike other university entrepreneurship centers that other people may be familiar with, we don't exist in a college or school of business. We don't exist uh, associated with a college or school of engineering. It really is something that broadly is about bringing entrepreneurship to students of every major. So we'll have students that are pursuing majors from everything from biology to business to economics to arts and sciences. Uh, we've got students at every level, uh, students working with us as early as their freshman year uh, to finishing up their senior year in their last semester. Students are able to access our sort of portfolio of programs that we have on the curricular side, like many schools, where we offer sort of classes in entrepreneurship. Uh, unlike other institutions, we offer a minor in entrepreneurship only because we believe it's very important for people to be an expert in a topic or a subject, whether that be, again, finance or whether that be biology, and then add the power of entrepreneurship and innovation behind that as a minor. And then we also have a whole range of co-curricular programs a venture competition, sort of dormitory for students that are interested in entrepreneurship, uh, a mentoring program that serves sort of both students and alumni who are launching their own venture uh, that supports these additional initiatives. So students can participate in entrepreneurship within the context of a course of study and take 
courses and pursue a minor in entrepreneurship. So we're industry agnostic with regards to the kind of startups that students can start. Uh, we see everything from a taco truck to a tech company, uh, everything from a nonprofit venture to a social innovation venture. They can start it as early as their freshman year or as late as their senior year. Our history for innovation and entrepreneurship goes back about 10 years. Uh, so there were a number of schools that were interested in sort of bringing on entrepreneurship, primarily out of sort of initiatives that you see out of colleges and school of businesses and out of colleges and schools of engineering. So our genesis sort of comes from sort of conversations that happened between our faculty in engineering and in business about 10 years ago. It was really set about sort of starting an entrepreneurial sort of mindset, but it was very clear with both our students and the kind of institution that we are, that the way in which we would be doing entrepreneurship would be one that would be broad serving all of our students on our campus. So it was originally sort of initiated sort of thinking about mindset. And then approximately seven years ago, we changed our focus from just thinking about sort of adopting the mindset of an entrepreneur to actually physically doing entrepreneurship. And so all of our students in entrepreneurship are actively venturing. They're all actively working either on their own startup or on their own nonprofit, or alternatively, um, they'll be working on another nonprofit or another person's business. And we've been really successful in working with this kind of model. Um, we've had approximately 40 student concepts uh, in our university as a whole that we're managing per year. Uh, from a school for 2,500, that's actually a pretty good ratio of the number of startup concepts we're working with. And of those, we launch six new companies or nonprofits every year into the local ecosystem. So I want to go back to one thing that you mentioned uh, of other universities and their entrepreneurship programs. I mean, one of the figures that we came across when re researching Gen Z was that entrepreneurship programs at universities increased something like 20-fold uh, between 1980 and 2008. And I guess the key question here is why? What is driving this push to teach entrepreneurship? And why in particular is Gen Z attracted to this path? That's a really great question. If a university at this point doesn't have an entrepreneurship program or an entrepreneurship center or initiatives around entrepreneurship, um, they're launching them this year or launching it within the next two to three years. And there's lots of reasons for this particular trend. The first is the need for many institutions, for example, to be economic engines, uh, to be engines of either throwing out technology that's transferred into the community, developed by their own scientists and their own graduate students through grants is an important part of their mission. And so entrepreneurship centers and initiatives, you know, reflect that sort of institutional mission that some institutions have. Um, the other reason why that's important is that it's a startup economy. There's the ability to sort of have people start companies. And so we're seeing a push on the faculty side to start startup companies, primarily technology-based or science-based, but a, a long range of sort of other initiatives. And then on the student side, it's something that students sort of really resonate with. The current generation of students, I sort of dubbed the Shark Tank generation. It used to be cool that when you were younger, you would start a band. Uh, now it's cool that when you're in high school, you start a, a, a company or start a startup. We're seeing uh, entrepreneurship as a sort of field of study being sort of now moving to the high schools. There's a number of high schools now that have business incubators or entrepreneurship programs where developing a pitch competition or developing concepts. We're seeing entrepreneurship being pushed now in also sort of elementary school and junior highs with youth entrepreneurship initiatives. So the universities are really responding to these kind of changes, that there is a student demand 
for this kind of experience, for this kind of sort of expression of what they're learning, as well as sort of additional pressures that are moving institutions to then develop in their own technologies, do some of that tech transfer. What makes our institution kind of unique is that while our center handles both the sort of tech transfer role of our institution and our faculty that are doing that kind of work, we're singularly focused on the student side. So we've got a really good understanding of seeing as these students come on in straight out of high school or these students that are currently sort of in our, in, in our institution, about the kind of motivations that sort of really inspire them to pursue entrepreneurship. Some of them are children of entrepreneurs. They've had parents or uncles or grandparents or members of their families who have you know, gone through the experience of starting an, their venture, but a lot of it is really in the air. Um, a lot of it is not only sort of programs like Shark Tank, but also the kind of stories that are told on social media about the success stories for entrepreneurship, uh, the kind of push that universities are doing or communities are doing to push entrepreneurship in local ecosystems. Yeah, so you mentioned uh, things like Shark Tank and social media. Um, I'm just curious about this generation and their immersion in the internet and digital media uh, and the digital economy. Do you think that those aspects have somehow uh, made it easier to become entrepreneurs? Oh, without any question. This current generation, as you mentioned, um, is sort of mobile first and digital native. And so they see the power of social networks. They, they see um, they're the first eyeballs in, in seeing marketing that's happening actually digitally. And so the ability for them to go ahead and express that in either themselves becoming influencers or the impact of influencers in their own kind of sort of social media sort of consumption and diet and the ability to then quickly sort of do that themselves and the ease for them to do that in a variety of platforms is part of the reason that sort of is motivating that. And so that's sort of like, you know, the awareness and the adoption of mobile media and and, and what we see with regards to digital. Um, the second is sort of the barrier to entry is so rapidly now reduced with these kinds of platforms that exist. The ability to now sort of gain outside capital through crowdfunding campaigns or through Kickstarter campaigns, the ability to access a, a global economy and find customers for your widget that aren't necessarily in your own neighborhood that are actually sort of worldwide and the infrastructure that's in place to ship worldwide, to sort of manufacture worldwide, to sort of be able to invoice and, and take credit card payments and be able to do that. That very venture is now so low that you can have a 17-year-old who is sourcing apparel from China designed by a designer in East Africa and selling that to an urban community in the East Coast. Like this is the kind of really interesting things that we're seeing young people do because of, of these two abilities. The third is because so much of business is now actually online, mobile-enabled, um, one-click ordering. They're sort of used to that kind of way of reaching a market. They're, they're used to that way of being an actual consumer. That Those kinds of business models to take advantage of, like, A, being mobile first and that sort of digital marketing to that, barrier, that sort of reduction in barrier entry. And third, that sort of business model that enables you to sort of do one-click shopping is part of the reason why it is that it's influencing these young people to not only do this in a sort of mobile only or digital way, but also have physical, you know, not so much brick and mortar, but physical presence and being able to do something in a physical place, um, being enabled by the use of technology. 
it's really remarkable about how it is that everyone has this sort of supercomputer in their pocket that comes equipped with a phone and with a microphone and comes equipped with a camera. You can take video, you're, at, you're able to access the internet, you're able to buy and sell, you're able to see what's going on. And considering that every single person of this particular generation has one of these devices, makes it easier then for them to so go off and, and envision themselves or actually practice in being entrepreneurs. Yeah, so one of uh, the business models you kind of mentioned there was a, a little bit of a drop shipping model where, you know, you can source in China, but you can have a designer in Africa, um, but it's made incredibly easy via um, mobile technology and digital technology. Just thinking about all of the various ways that you're, you're seeing your students enact entrepreneurship, can you tell us if there's any particular types of entrepreneurship or any kind of values? in entrepreneurship that you're seeing? Any trends in that area? It's really interesting. Um, you know, this generation is motivated by, you know, four really sort of key principles. They, they want to do something that's significant, that, that has sort of purpose and meaning. They're really motivated about things that have an impact, both ways in which they're making an impact in the world or in ways in which the world is impacting them. This aspect of authenticity is a real third important sort of characteristic of this generation. And the fourth is transparency, right? They, 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 they live their entire lives online. They expect people to be completely transparent online. And so these four sort of kind of key principles, significance, impact, authenticity, and transparency we see our students then sort of taking that and, you know, developing social impact ventures, um, the kind of business models that have as part of their sort of business some social change or some social impact. And that's broadly defined. That could be women's issues. That could be the environment. That could be solving sort of a local problem with regards to hunger. Um, but the sort of motivation of doing something that's socially impactful is a really important sort of aspect. I alluded to it before with regards to social impact, but this aspect of sustainability, the environment, being green is a really important aspect of some of the business models that we see our students sort of working on. Um, they're not inherently, even when they walk in, they don't say things like, oh, that's a triple bottom line, but it's clear that that kind of level of impact and being able to sort of source things that are sort of sustainable or that are utilize alternative energy is something that's going to be important for them. So we see a lot of interest in, in that space. Believe it or not, while previous generations were sort of looking at internet only or app-based sort of businesses, we still see some of that. Um, utilizing the cloud and cloud-based technologies, business models like services to software or subscription services or box subscription services or something that's quite popular now as well, in part because of, again, the sort of easy and barrier, of the, the sort of lowering of a barrier of entry of being able to sort of adopt a, a subscription box model or subscription service or a cloud-based model of a business model is something that we're seeing an enormous popularity to. And then with the advent as well of maker spaces, the ability to have 3D printers and access to 3D printers and the, the sort of reduction in barrier entry, sort of this kind of like manufacturing models, we're beginning to see physical products actually coming out with regards to some of the businesses that students are thinking about. Everything from apparel to, you know, things that they're printing circuits around um, is really sort of exciting. So we're seeing sort of the uses of these technologies and being applied 
in a very sort of practical way by students of this generation in these ways. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear just an example of one of the types of innovations that your students have come up with recently and how they're, um, they're leveraging their entrepreneurial skills with that. One of my favorite stories is a, is a group of um, former first-year students, um, and they started a company called Patch. And uh, this first-year student was getting ready to move into our entrepreneurship residence hall. And there was a story that was being told about um, the opioid crisis here in the United States. And so he said, hey, like, I want to develop some sort of business that helps address this immediate sort of need in addressing this crisis with regards to opioid distribution. And he thought, like, hey, like, like maybe like it's going to be like a pill bottle that will sort of enable you to control how many pills get dispensed or don't get dispensed. And it'll be connected to the internet in some sort of way and people will know and you can dispense or not dispense. And so this smart pill bottle concept um, with some further refinement is now, um, again, this company's called Patch and they're really focused on the smart pill bottle, but they're singularly focused in clinical trials where clinical trial mm -hmm. adherence is actually really important as their first go-to market. So, you know, the pill bottle tells you when it's time for you to take your pill um, it'll signal to you, it's ready, the pill is in the chamber, it'll discharge that pill to you, and then that information then gets sent to the people who are handling that clinical trial with regards to adherence. And they see that as an opportunity to improve clinical trial data, to improve the way in which people are doing clinical trials, and then utilizing that kind of information and that infrastructure that gets built around that kind of smart pill bottle to then go into managed care kind of environments and then ultimately potentially to retail sort of pharmacies. I sort of see that as a three-stage sort of way of addressing this issue. But their first prototypes, um, they built it themselves. These are two students that are not engineers who, you know, learned how to do 3D printing, figured out the sort of kind of guts of sort of how it, the pill bottle is supposed to work, developed that first series of prototypes, then sort of interfaced with engineers and with app developers to go ahead and develop the sort of like software and the physical product. And we're really excited about the progress that they've made. It's only been about a year and a half. And that's just one example of where we have students sort of moving in that sort of space. Um, we've had students who are working, for example, on a um, cold brew coffee. But it's not just I'm making cold brew coffee. No, the, the, the beans, the coffee grounds that I'm utilizing is part of the process. We're trying to think about ways in which we can think about developing another revenue stream where that coffee grounds can be used as a way of enriching soil of helping sort of farmers and urban farms have very rich soils utilizing these kind of used coffee grounds. And so these are examples of sort of two companies that are looking at doing something impactful in two different ways and the ways in which how technology by cloud technology or the ease of using engineering or developing their own prototype is something that they've sort of done. And these are two companies that were started by students that are first year students here at Trinity. Um, so it's exciting that, you know, here they are getting ready to be juniors and they've already got two years of runway, building companies, uh, raising money, dealing with sort of the, the intricacies of getting a product like this approved by the FDA um, in the course of two years. We've got a generation of students that are interested in getting something started today. There's sort of an impatience with um, the status quo. Um, they're, as a generation, um, they have no intention of sort of putting up with our nonsense. Um, and so they're really committed to sort of like do something today and change something today. That's sort of something that motivates them. 
Wow, you bring up a really good point there in terms of their patients. Um, and so that makes me wonder, how are these students going to evolve as they move into the workforce? What sorts of traits are they going to bring with them? What sort of expectations are they going to have for their future careers? I mean, do you think they will be sort of career entrepreneurs? Or are they going to juggle their lives with this more um, conventional career path? Um, and then what kind of expectations should uh, the workplace have of these new, this new entrepreneurial generation? Well, it's a really exciting time. Um, I know that, you know, there's a lot of disruption and uncertainty, but it's a very exciting time with this regeneration for the following reasons. The first is they understand, right, that they came of age during the economic downturn uh, in 2008. And so that understanding that you've got a lifelong career with a company is not something that's really in their mindset. They understand that for them, the job they may have for two or three years or the collection of jobs they may have with a stint or two or three years is what ultimately may sort of make their career. But it really is something that that's sort of looking at an initial engagement or initial job as being of something in the two to three, three to five year range, where if that job is a job where they feel they have an impact, if that job is the job that they feel that they're being valued, that they're doing something of significance, that there's an ability for them to sort of grow in that job, that every day is a job that honors them, you know, completely um, as a person that has a sort of work-life balance. They're going to sort of embrace that kind of experience and be able to sort of grow as there's opportunities for them to be growing in that, in that kind of organization. And that's what they're looking for, right? They're looking for roles where they're able to sort of assume responsibility have an impact, uh, be a significant valued member of their team, where they're treated with authenticity, where they see complete transparency about sort of what their opportunities are. And if organizations can't offer that, well, then they understand that they're going to take that experience and go somewhere else. They're going to find a place where they're honored as individuals, where that authenticity is something that's sort of built into the DNA of the organization, because they have no qualms from going from one job to another job if they feel that there's, there's a greater sense of significance in going to another role. A third part that's kind of really exciting is that, you know, this particular generation, you know, they're right about not putting up with our nonsense anymore. Um, we're wrong and we have to get with the program, right? So, you know, those organizations that are listening to these Generation Z sort of employees and are being responsive to the kind of changes that they see. Um, they believe in a diverse workplace. They believe in multiple views. They believe in people being their home selves and having a work-life balance. Those organizations that sort of ensure that that's part of their DNA, um, that ensures that these individuals are valued members and that we're all part of a winning team is really going to be important for, for these workers. And organizations that take advantage of that um, will sort of reap the benefit of the sort of hardworking, um, entrepreneurial, globally connected group of workers that are really interested in making an impact. They're phenomenal sort of team players. They, they want to get in, they want to get their hands dirty, and they want to do something significant. So filing files, not so much fun, right? Running a, a spreadsheet, not so much fun. But if there's meaning and purpose, for filing those files, if they can see the impact of running those spreadsheets and understand 
like how that work that they do is going to be acted upon or how that insight of the work that they do is going to lead to something that's better or something that's more impactful, then you're going to have a really exciting synergy with this sort of generation. Yeah, and it also seems like providing the space for experience and experiment is is really important here. I mean, I spent a little bit of time um, looking at Trinity's website and some of the programs that you offer. And, and just one thing that really stuck out to me was the emphasis on experiential learning. Um, you mentioned earlier that you have themed dormitories, you have a maker space. Uh, I know that there's an office of experiential learning, and it really just seems like you know, Trinity is evolving to embrace that uh, experiential learning um, priority over sort of a traditional lecture model. And I wonder if that model then uh, translates into the business world in terms of, like I said, providing a space for experience and experimentation with this generation. Yeah, I think that those businesses that create is part of their onboarding process or is part of the sort of, you know, employee um, engagement or part of sort of an employee sort of career planning or, or sort of job descriptions, the ability for them to try something out, to, to, to take a risk and build something new would be an exciting thing for them to do. Students, Trinity is, is not unique in this way. We're one of many institutions now that are moving towards a much more experiential learning sort of model that maybe was done one or two generations ago. We expect our students to be engaged in undergraduate research or undergraduate scholarship. We expect our students to be engaged in internships while they're still in college. We expect our students to launch companies while they're still college students. And so, you know, that ability to try something out, that ability to, to work on something, to get that experience and then see how that experience then leads you to more of that or, mm, you know, I'm good. That's not something I'm quite all that interested in. I know that I want to be moving in a different direction. The ability for larger enterprise organizations to build that into their DNA, where perhaps this generation might have the opportunity to, you know, spend six months in a different unit to really get a sense of what's happening on the manufacturing side or spend three months. Uh, embedded in a marketing team to really understand sort of where the rubber really meets the road, what's really getting resonance, or to spend, you know, six months with the sales team out on sales calls, hearing and listening to what customers are directly telling them is a really important aspect for these students and, and, and this generation. That ability to constantly be learning, but more importantly, not learning in a classroom, not learning in a textbook. It's actually getting out there and engaging it's doing something that's significant, something they can point to, a series of experiences they can say they had that then lead them to particular insight is an important thing that our current workforce needs to be able to sort of prepare for these students who are going to be coming into it to address that specific need. Things like innovation labs, things like, um, you know, sandboxes where people and teams can work on finding solutions or developing new products are interesting ways in which some of these larger companies are incorporating these, these initiatives. I want to thank you for your time today, uh, Dr. Luis Martinez, Director of the Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship at Trinity University. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for this opportunity. All insights are gathered from our Growth Partnership Services research and analysis. To learn more, please visit frost.com and join us for future Frost and Sullivan podcasts.